My message this morning is, is about trembling at his word. It's something about the word of God that is powerful. Now, the word of God is, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is quick, means it's alive, and it's powerful, dunamis, it's powerful, power-filled, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts asunder that which is soul and spirit. It divides it so that there's a separation so that you know that which is flesh, that which is spirit, that which is soulish, that's which is of our mind, our will, and our emotions, and that which is of the spirit of God. The word clearly differentiates and shows us what that is. So I want to talk to you this morning about trembling at his word. And, and what that really means is to respect, to have all reverential awe of the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is not another um, word from God. It is the living Word of God. Your Bible is so important, not because it's, uh, not because I say it's important or someone else says it's important. It's important because it is, because it's alive. And it, it becomes alive, folks, when we get it inside of us and it generates faith, and then it begins to act. That's when it becomes alive. You can put it in your car and you can ride it around, and some people do. I mean, you know, we, we stick it in a car, we bring it to church, and, and, uh, and we bring it in with us when we come together. And sometimes that seems to be where it stays the rest of the week till we come back the next week. Then we have to dig it out again and bring it in with us. And, and uh, you know, that's not the purpose of the Word of God. But the Word of God is to build something inside of us. It's called character. And character is built when we have a, a proper fear and awe of God. You know, um, and there are other religions, and you might know of, of those that I might uh, be kind of um, thinking of, that dominate and try to control people through fear. And their, their book... Or their Bible, if you want to call it that, is one that dominates with fear. But God's word doesn't control us. It inspires us and fills us with faith. So that we can do what God has called us to do and be what God has called us to be. Our purpose at Destiny City is one thing. It's, it's one wide purpose and it's this. Help others to find and fulfill their God-given purpose, their destiny. God has destiny inside each of us. He has created us with a divine destiny. Everybody say divine. Now, you know what that word divine means? It means it's of God. It's God-given. He has given us a God-given destiny. Not everyone will fulfill their God-given destiny because we don't fill our hearts we don't fill our minds, and we don't act in faith according to the Word of God. So, therefore, we will miss our God-given destiny. I, uh, well, I, I don't want to call attention to that, but we just had something that's very fresh this week of someone who is so full of talent, so f just God-given abilities and talents, who tragically took his own life. And, uh, and, and we've seen it time and time again when people have God-given talents and because we don't use them according to God's given design, there comes a point in our lives where things become short-circuited and there's tragedy that ensues. And I'm not going to really focus on that, but I, I wanted to share some scriptures with you. Excuse me for just a moment. And I hate to do this in front of you, but I'm really thirsty. Thank you. They that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Amen. I want to take you to the word of God in Isaiah. And uh, I've been reading through the Old Testament and, and, and I read Isaiah last week and then I've gotten into uh, Jeremiah this week. But as I was reading it, something jumped out at me. The last chapter of Jeremiah, you know, or of Isaiah Isaiah is said that, uh, uh, some scholars say that Isaiah is a, like a Bible within the Bible. 
If there's any one book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that if you had to have it, you couldn't have anything else, Isaiah would be the one that you want because it is full of the redemption of God, his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ, especially Isaiah 53 and, 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 and beyond that. But Isaiah is a contemporary of Jeremiah and that he was, he was there in, in Judah uh, just before and during the Babylonian invasion that came and took the people of Judah into Babylon and took them captive. Isaiah was a priest, and the word says, or, or it is, it is uh, history records that Isaiah was actually sewn in two. He was martyred. He was tied up and literally sewn in two. When it talks about those that were sewn in two in Hebrews chapter 11, that would be referring to Isaiah. Sawed in two, yeah. What did I say? Yeah, sawed in two. Well, sewed. In the King James Version says they were sewn in two, so sawed in two, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in that uh, King James vernacular. <laughs> Isaiah 66, 1 through 5. This is the New American Standard Bible. Just for in case you're wondering why it reads, maybe reading a little bit different than yours. It says, thus says the Lord. Now it's important when thus says the Lord. What does that mean? Who's talking right now? God is talking. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Let that sink in for just a minute. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things come into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who does what? Trembles at my word. But him who kills an ox is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices the lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering is like one who offers swine's blood. And he who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol. And they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. So I will choose their punishments and I will bring on them what they dread. Because I called but no one answered. I spoke but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I would not delight or I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they will be put to shame. Now, Isaiah could have very well been addressing the church of today. He could have been talking to the churches in America. He could have been talking to the lukewarm churches around the world because he was addressing an obstinate, hard-hearted people that had developed their own traditions which were not in accordance with his word, were doing things that he had not commanded, were creating things of their own hands to worship, and we see it all over the place. You know, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm, I, 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 I look forward to the day when we have our own meeting place, when we can come together, have our own place, and we don't have to go through the, the process of having to set up and tear down and all that. And believe me, we're getting closer and closer all the time. God's doing some good things there. And, uh, but I'm kind of excited at the same time that our church is not tied to a building. You know, that we don't say, I'm going to the church. You know, we come and we gather as a church. We are just as much a church as any other group that is meeting in town today that says they are a church. But some folks actually revere the church building. That to them is their church. You know, we... We see it all the time where people will act one way and, and then as soon as they walk into a place of worship, it's almost, like, it's almost like they repent at the door and they walk in and all of a sudden they're a different person until they walk back outside again. But, you know, that's not what God has called us to be and this is exactly what was going on in Isaiah's day. 
They were coming to the temple. They were bringing sacrifices. They were offering their sacrifices of incense. They were offering their grain offerings. They were doing all of these things, but their hearts were far from God. They were obstinate. They were not listening to the prophetic word that was coming forth. They did not tremble at the word of God. They had no reverence for the word of God. And that's the way our world is today when we can take and, and we, can go in, we, can, we can develop our own ideology in the church that is contrary to the word of God. That's a sure sign that we are not trembling at his word. One thing I know about the word of God is that it endures forever. You know, we've, uh, we've got two little, boy, uh, two little boys, I call them. They're my little boys at home, little fuzzy boys. Little doggies, little shizus, which means little lion. And they got attitude, especially the littlest one, Roscoe. He's always got to have the last word. Always. I mean, I can, I can tell Max, the bigger one, I'll say, Max, come on, let's go inside. Max is just traipsed on in. I'll say, Roscoe, come on. And he's like, I got to go pee one more time. And then he's got to do this lap around the yard. And then he'll just stand there and look at me. I'll say, come on, Roscoe. And he'll go. <laughs> but he's always got to have the last word. He's a mouthy little guy. Obstinate. He's smart. A lot of people think that Roscoe just doesn't have anything up here. He's got it. He knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, sometimes, you know, Max, he will, he will do tricks. And my wife, will, will, she, she was working with him one day, and, and, and she was trying to get Roscoe to do some tricks that Max had done. And she was in the kitchen sitting on the floor with, with Roscoe trying to get him to sit, try to get him to roll over, try to get him to spin around, try to get him to do all these things that Max normally would do, just, you know, because he's just kind of an obedient dog. And so she's in there trying to get him to do it, and Roscoe's just sitting there looking at her. And I happen to walk in and I look, and she's in there saying, roll over. Well, Max is behind her. He's rolling over. (laughs) Sit. Shake. You know, he was doing all these things. And Roscoe would do nothing of it. You know? He's like, I'll do it when I'm ready. When I'm good and ready, I'll do it. And it kind of reminds me of some of the people of God at times. You know, we all got it. We know what we should do. We, 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 we know we can, but, but we just don't because, well, we just got to have the last word. We're stubborn and obstinate, and this is exactly what kind of people that Isaiah was addressing here. He was talking to them, and, and he, has, he has, has spent, you know, all of this time, and we're on the last chapter of the book in some of the closing verses of the book, and he's talking about those who refuse to tremble at the word of God and what God rewards those who do tremble at his word, who have awe and reverence of his word. Listen to this in Proverbs 29, 18, and, and uh, I, I just wanted to kind of give this to you. Uh, well, let me back up just a second. Let me, let me get to something here that Paul had to say. Paul had this to say in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says, okay, it's like God talking, right? Thus says the Lord. So here the Spirit is explicitly saying that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared into their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now, does, does that not speak of the church today? Does that not speak of, of our current situation where, where churches are preaching doctrines of demons and, and preaching that this is okay, that God somehow changed his mind? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that some churches actually believe that God doesn't even exist anymore. It is so cold and so dead in some of the religions, and we have our, our own brands of religion that are absent of the power of God. And, and Paul said something else about that. I'll get to that later. But, but he's talking about doctrines of demons and, and listening to deceitful spirits and, 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 and the hypocrisy that of liars seared into the consciences of people was with a branding iron. Now, now, Isaiah was confronting the same, some of the same issues in his time. Now, he served under a number of kings. I think Isaiah prophesied under seven kings. And 
he, he, was, he prophesied under Uzziah, who was probably one of the most notable, Uzziah and Hezekiah. But he, uh, Hezekiah was the last king that he prophesied under. But he prophesied under Uzziah. Now, y'all may, may remember Uzziah. Now, it says about Uzziah in Second Chronicles that Uzziah, God prospered Uzziah. He was 16 years old when he began to reign. And God prospered him as long as he did this one thing. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And God did prosper Uzziah. I mean, great things happened under him. He was able to subdue all his enemies. He was able to build all of these great buildings and everything else and to bring prosperity to his nation and all of that stuff. But then something happened to Uzziah. Uzziah became proud in his heart. And one day he went into the temple, which he was not authorized nor anointed to do. He goes into the temple and he takes the incense burner and he goes in to offer incense before the Lord, which was not his place to do. It was only a portion to the priest to do that. They begged him not to, but he was obstinate instead. He went on in and he did it. What do you think happened to Uzziah? He became leprous. You know, and, and Isaiah says, in Isaiah 6 and 1, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So he was, he was prophesying under Uzziah, and he, he was there in those fateful moments when Uzziah went in and became proud and obstinate before God, and he offered up incense before the Lord, which he was not anointed nor ascribed to do. Because of that, he became leprous for the rest of his life and could not even go into the temple, couldn't get near the temple. He lived in isolation from everyone else. What a way for a king to live, right? What a way. But that speaks to us in the church that, that our hearts have to tremble before the Lord, that everything that God says has merit. Everything that God says, he means when God talks about holiness and without holiness, no man shall see God, what does that mean? It means that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. How are we made holy? How are we made righteous? He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how we become righteous, through the blood of Jesus, by faith in him. That's how we become righteous in God's sights. And without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. In the moment that God sets us apart, we become holy. We become anointed and appointed unto the Lord to be a priest and a, a high priest. There's only one high priest, but we are priests before the Lord. What is a priest? Anybody know what a priest is? Priest is a go-between. Priest is someone who represents God to the people, and he represents the people to God. So you and I have been called to be priests. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8 and 9? For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God has anointed us and appointed us to be priests for him. It's something that we don't do with arrogance. It's something we do with humility and we do it with fear and trembling of God's word, knowing that you and I are representatives of the most high God and in the same breath, you and I are called to intercede, to stand in intercession for the lost, to pray for them, to minister to them, to declare the word of God to them with fear and trembling, knowing that their lives are in the balance. Listen, when we present the word of God, we're not doing it because God has said, you've got to do this. We do it with a passion because we know that it's truth. We know that it's truth and we know that there's something in there that when we present the word of God, it is the way of salvation, it's the way of deliverance for a person that is lost without Jesus. That should inspire us to reverentially and, and wholly present the word of God with fear and trembling, trembling at his word. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says this. It says, where there is no vision... Now, this is the Amplified Version. I like the Amplified Version because it's a little bit louder than the other. Where there is no vision, which is redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law, or the law of God, 
which includes keeping the law of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. There's something about keeping the word of the Lord, and there's something about when we don't, because where there is no vision or redemptive revelation of God, when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are we giving? We are giving redemptive revelation of who God is. We're revealing God to other people. We are performing our responsibilities as priests of God when we share his gospel. Isaiah was saying, and God was declaring, he said, number one, he said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? How can we contain God? We can't, can we? When we come together, the Lord is here because he is where? He's in our hearts. Where two or more of you are gathered together in my name, he said, I'm in your midst. I'm with you. So when we come together collectively as a body of believers, the Lord is here. His presence is here. And just like Jeremy was singing, his presence is heaven to me. Man, there's nothing greater. I I don't know about you. I I was overwhelmed up here this morning. I was just overwhelmed with the presence of God. It was just so awesome. And I I really appreciate that. And, 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 And heaven, that's what heaven really is. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there, would it? One thing I know about heaven and what I love reading, when I read the book of Revelation, one of the things that stands out to me is this. There is no sun nor moon to give light. Why? Don't need it. Because the sun, Jesus, is the one who gives light to heaven. And when we are in his presence, the light of the Lord is here. That's what we are experiencing. We're experiencing a little bit of what heaven is when his presence is in our midst. To me, that's what it's all about. So heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And society has tried to put God in a box by saying, they say this, and you probably heard it. It's okay to worship your God. Just do it in your place of worship. Wow. So we're going to box God in. We're going to put him in a house. Say, Lord, we'll come visit you once a week. That ain't happening. No. We can't put him in a box. We can't hem him in. People say God doesn't belong in politics. God doesn't belong here. God doesn't belong there. Listen, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell therein. He belongs in every every sector of society, every part of it. God belongs. And, And you can't separate the two. The separation of church and state was simply put in place so that government could not intrude upon the worship of the saints of God. That's what they are fled from. That's what we came to America for. That's why we were established, was for the freedom of worship. But that's another story in itself. You see how the devil has tried to change that around. God's word defines who we are as believers. He is our life. Get this straight. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 says, If if you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And verse 4, this is very important. Get this. Verse 4 says, When Christ who, what? is our life is revealed then you will also be revealed with him in glory paul said that that for me to live is christ and to die is gain he said that christ is my life now i don't know what jesus is to you to some he might be my ticket out of hell and my ticket into heaven That's really all that matters. As long as I got that punched, I'm good to go. Yes, I'm saved. Hallelujah. I'm going to heaven. Now I can just go out and do my thing. Not the way it works. Because when we become born again, something happens. I I was pleased the other day to put on Facebook that the 15th of August marked a very important event in my life. I was born on January the 24th. A long time ago. 
I was born again on August the 15th, 1975. That was the most important event in my life to this point. You say more important than your marriage, more important than your children? Yes. More important than anything. It was the day that Jesus changed my life. When old things passed away, behold, all things became new. He became my life. He became my reason for living. He's my life. Do you understand that? And he said that he would give me fullness of life, and he has. My life since experiencing my, my rebirth has been nothing but full of life, abundant. I mean, folks, I'm living more now than I ever thought possible. Sometimes I get tired I live so much. (laughs) But it's good. I'm not tired of living, you know. I don't see how anybody can be a true believer and get bored. Something's wrong. You need to go back and just check and make sure. It might hurt you to get, it wouldn't hurt you to get saved again. God said this, he said, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Now, what does it mean to tremble at his word? I'm glad you asked. Because it's from the word charade. It means fearful or reverential. And we're living in a day when, when fear of, of public opinion and, and is, is placed above the word of God. I see it on Facebook all the time. I see these little arguments. You know, I really don't care what your religion says. I don't really care what your God says. I really don't care because the government has said that abortion is legal. And, and the government has said that homosexual, homosexual marriage is okay and everything else. So they've sanctioned it. So therefore, it's got to be good. No. No way. Just because somebody says something is good, if it's contrary to the word of God, that doesn't mean it's good. That is doctrines of demons. That is hypocritical lying. And a lot of it is taking place in so-called churches today where they are, are, are pushing the word of God into the foreground and preaching from the pulpit of public opinion to their people and people are dying and going to hell because of what these preachers are saying. And I fear for their lives because when they stand before God, they will have to give an account for the souls of those that they've lied to. Listen, folks, I pray that I never am guilty of lying to you. I pray that I always teach you and tell you the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we were pastoring out in Avon, we had uh, an older man, and his name was Oscar, and I just loved that guy. But he was my best critic. I mean, he really was. Because he would tell me, Son, you did good. One Sunday he told me, he says, Now, Pastor, that was a clothesline message. It's a clothesline message. He said, Yeah, you hung us out to dry. <laughs> okay. And then one Sunday I, I preached, and I mean, I was waxing my elephant, man. I was just going, I was going at it. I went a long time. And after the service, he came up to me. He says, Son, I want to tell you something. He said, That was a longhorn message. I said, what? I said, what do you mean by that? He says, he says, well, that was two points with a lot of bull in between. <laughs> and he was honest. But there were a lot of Sundays he would tell me, he said, son, I want you to know something. He said, my blood's not on your hands. And he kept telling me that. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, you told us the truth. He said, if anybody goes to hell after what you preached in there, that's their responsibility. It's not yours. Well, that was an encouragement to me because I need to know that I'm preaching truth. You know, it's not that we try to to tickle your ears or make you feel good. You know, sometimes the truth hurts. I mean, if you go to the doctor and he tells you, you know, you got something wrong with you, well, you know, I think I'll get a second opinion. It's kind of like one guy that went and, you know, his doctor said, said, you, uh, you got this wrong with you? And he says, well, can I get a second opinion? He said, yeah, you're ugly too. 
Well, Paul had his arguments about the word of God. He was, he was one who was always preaching the truth and he had those, he had his detractors, you know, the, the, how, you, how should you put it? He had the detractors, those who would argue with him. And there was a certain place and it wasn't a college, but there is a college called Mars Hill. Anybody ever heard of Mars Hill? Why do they call it Mars Hill? Well, I think probably they got their name because Mars Hill was a place of knowledge. It was a place in Athens, Greece, where most of the philosophers and the most famous philosophers came from, you know, the Greek philosophers and this. They would gather in a place and, and, and they would argue. They would have these philosophical arguments about life, about God, about the existence of man and all these things. And some of the greatest schools of thought would gather there. And so the Apostle Paul happened to be in that place. And it says that Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. And this would be the, the intellectuals. They were the ones that were always arguing. They would have these group meetings of the Areopagus, these, these roundtable discussions, as it were. And he said, men of Athens, I observed that you were very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. How would you like to serve that one? Don't know where he came from. Don't know what he is. Don't know what he does. Don't know if he's a male or a female. Don't know. He's unknown. So what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their, their habitation, that they should seek God if perhaps they might Grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Verse 28 is probably the most famous verse out of this chapter. For in him we live and exist, and even as some of our own points, poets have said, we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of men. Having, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some of them began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you concerning this again. Paul was, was confronting the intellectuals. He was sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. That's the one thing that all the religions in the world, every one of them, none of them, have the power of the resurrection as the very basis of what they believe. Romans chapter 8 says that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The resurrection of the dead is the very foundation of what we believe, that Jesus Christ is alive. We serve a living God, not one that is made with our hands, but one who with his hands has made us. We serve one who can't be contained in temples. We serve one who is greater than anything else and who reigns in heaven and the earth is his footstool. Wow. I, I was thinking about that one day. I was, had gone on a fishing trip with some friends out in Hatteras Island, and we had had uh, had, had set sail out of uh, out of Hatteras Inlet and gone forty some miles out to the Gulf Stream. And I, I, I want to tell you something: we were in a forty-two foot boat, but when you get out that far, you're nothing but a little speck. 
in that water. Now, when we were in the harbor, that boat seemed pretty big. But when we got 40-some miles out, all of a sudden, it was kind of insignificant, especially when we looked at the depth finder, and you could see that it was reading 900-some feet deep. I'm thinking, boy, I don't think I could reach the bottom one breath. But I started thinking about how small and insignificant I am. And I thought about Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name above all the earth. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? God is so great. God is so big. And and I, I just... My little pea brain starts to short circuit when I think about the greatness of God. When I think about this world and the vastness of it, our planet that we live on. My brother is coming in in a couple of weeks. He lives in Brisbane, Australia. You know how long it takes him to get here? 27 hours in the air. 27 hours to get from Brisbane, Australia to get to Charlotte, North Carolina. That's in the air. That's not counting layover time. And I'm thinking, how great is our God? I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's big. My dad used to sing. He holds the, you know, God can hold all the water in the palm of his hand. When I think about how big and how vast our God is, we can't contain him. When I think of a God like that, it causes my heart to fear, not in a, a bad way, but in a referential way. Now, if I did not know him, if I did not have relationship with him, if I did not know that he was my father and he loved me, then I would fear him in other ways. I would tremble at his word because I would know that I was standing in the wrath of God, not in the grace of God. But thank God I am not standing in his wrath. I, I got one more scripture I want to share with you. And this is one that's very enlightening. And I want you to understand something that, that God's got it all under control. No matter what ISIS is doing, no matter what our government is doing, no matter what any other government is doing, no matter what any man is up to, or whoever they think they are, or how powerful they may be on this earth, they are nothing. They're nothing. But Psalm chapter 2 says, why do the nations, why are the nations in in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens does what? Laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, God says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord in reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wow. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you the truth, guys. We're living in the last days. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. This thing is winding down. God's timetable, as far as the earth is concerned, is coming to a rapid close. There's an acceleration of events, which Jesus prophesied and said it would be like. He said it would be like birth pains. It would be like travail upon the woman, like a woman who's travailing with child, who through the pains of it all, then she delivers her child, and there's rejoicing. 
There is an end. There is a culmination of all that is happening when God himself shall show the world who he is and reveal the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That day is soon coming. But right now there are other events that that are taking place which God's word has told us about. And if we tremble at his word, we'll take it into account. And we will believe it and we will act accordingly. We will clean our houses. We will get our spiritual house in order. And we will allow the judgment of God to begin in the house of God where it begins in the first place. It doesn't matter what's going on outside. It really matters what's going on in here and what God is doing inside of his people that is the most important thing. Listen, somebody said that, that if it wasn't for all of the storms that were going, out out, going on outside, that Noah's ark would have been a smelly place to be. And it was. I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant when Noah and his family had to gather on the ark with two of every kind of animal on the face of the earth, you know. I could just imagine Mrs. Noah sitting down in a copperhead crawling across her foot or she gets ready to serve the evening meal, and all of a sudden she looks, and there's a python in the corner all curled up. Hi, Mrs. Noah. <laughs> but could you imagine the smells and what was going on inside the ark? But it wasn't a bad place to be. It's kind of reminiscent of the church, isn't it? kind of reminiscent of what's going on in the family of God sometimes. It's like, you know, I just can't stand going to that church because there's so many hypocrites there. Well, come join us. You fit right in. (laughs) Because not every one of us, none of us who are exactly what God wants us to be. But thank God that though the inward, the outward man is perishing inwardly, we're being renewed every day Amen. into the image of Christ. It's happening, and I see it, and I thank God for it. We're not there yet, but we're in a safe place. We've entered into the covenant with God, just like the people of Noah's day entered in. His family entered into the ark, and they were saved. We enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's where our salvation comes from. Well, I've got some other things I could share today, but I'm not going to because I think you've got the gist of what I'm saying. God is looking for a people who will tremble at his word, who will revere his word above everything else and look and see, is this what thus says the Lord or is this your personal opinion? Everybody has opinions, and we know what opinions are like. Amen? I need not tell you. Everybody has one. And most of them stink. Doesn't matter about your personal opinion. I'm not really interested in what you think. I'm interested in what God says. That's the most important thing. God wants to do something in us. He wants to change us. He wants to renew us. Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So God hasn't changed his mind about sin because sin is still sin. Transgression and rebellion against God is still the same thing, and it still amounts to one thing, sin. And 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who commits or practices sin is guilty of lawlessness for that is what sin is, lawlessness or the breaking or the violation of God's law by transgression or neglect, being unrestrained and unregulated by his word and his will. That is what sin is. So what is his will? It's the word of God. It's quick and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides and cuts asunder. It, 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 it's alive and working within us. So this is what Paul said to Timothy. I'm going to give you this. And then I'm done. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and again, this is out of the Amplified Version. He says, Indeed, all who delight in piety, or those who tremble at God's word, and are determined to live a devoted and godly life in Christ Jesus, will meet with persecution or will be made to suffer because of their religious stand. We see that happening, don't we? I mean, kids getting kicked out of school because they carry a Bible to school or something. 
But wicked men and imposters will go on from bad to worse. So is it going to get any better? Not till Jesus comes. Deceiving and leading astray others and being deceived and led astray themselves. But as for you, everybody say, as for you. you. Now let's turn it around and say, as for me. me. (laughs) Continue to hold to things that you have learned and of which you are convinced, knowing from whom you have learned them and how you from childhood you have had knowledge of and been acquainted with the sacred writings or the scriptures which are able to instruct you and give you the understanding for salvation which comes through faith in Christ Jesus or through the leaning or the learning of the entire personality, or leaning on the entire personality of God in Christ Jesus in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. And verse 16 says, every scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's given by inspiration, is profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline and obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will and thought, purpose and action, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God is trying to do in developing us through his word. Then the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, we learn how to correctly use the word of God, and it changes our life and makes us into what God wants us to be, and that we tremble and revere his word. That doesn't mean that, that we take our Bible and, and, and this is our Bible so we just treat it so gingerly and we put it in a safe place. We lock it in a safe when we're not using it. And we're afraid to write in it or let anybody else touch it because it's a sacred book. Listen, it's sacred because of what's in it. Use your Bible. Read it. Study it. Get it inside of you. Some of my favorite Bibles are the ones I have that have been read so much that they're tattered and torn and the the bindings coming off of it and everything else is full of notes. Stuff that I have written through the years, nearly 40 years of serving the Lord. This is practically a new Bible, but it's been read through, through several times and it's got notes in it because it does you no value. It's no good to you until you study it, until you get into it and you ingest it into your spirit then it becomes alive and it becomes powerful and it guides you and it shapes you and it creates something inside of you that causes you to be holy unto the Lord and you begin to fulfill the destiny that God has put inside of you that's what God is trying to do so tremble at his word understand the power of God's word not just his word that is written And when God speaks to your heart in a rhema word, listen, learn to listen to the Lord. Learn to walk in step with the spirit. Have you ever thought about doing something and the Holy Spirit just begins to say, no, don't do it. And you have this gentle pleading inside of you saying that's wrong. And then God's word begins to speak to the situation. It says, thus says the Lord. What happens if we disregard that? We fall into, come on, sin. Because sin is transgression of the law. It's violation of the law of God. And when we fall into sin, then there are always consequences to our sin. Let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted of God, for God does not sin, nor does he tempt any man, but a man is tempted when he's what? Drawn away with his own lust and entice. And lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Lust, when it's conceived, when we begin to want something that is not in the will of God, we begin to lust after it, we begin to want something that is not ours to take. And then when we go after it, sin is conceived in our heart and then we act upon it. And then what happens? And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, destruction. 
death in so many ways. Not just physical death, not just spiritual death, but death to dreams, death to destiny, death to relationships, death to our own well-being and our own holiness. It brings destruction in so many ways. So God has warned us and the Holy Spirit tells us. And then when we grieve the Holy Spirit and we don't tremble at God's word and we don't let God's word speak into the situation and we ignore it and we become like Roscoe and that we've got to have the last word. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do this. And we're going, I want to do it anyway. And then we do it. And then we have to dwell with the consequences. And they always sting and they always hurt. It always brings death in some way or another. But God is calling us to tremble. Tremble at his word. So that when we face situations in our life, the word of God becomes that lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It becomes what David said that, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When the word of God becomes such a fabric of our being that we don't have to look it up, it's inside of us. And God uses it to guide us and direct us toward our destiny. And that's what God is after. It's what God is after in each one of us. So tremble at his word. Tremble at his word. Understand who is speaking. Thus says the Lord. It's not just me. It's not just this preacher. It's God's word speaking. It's God's word talking to you. Thus says the Lord. Remember what I've told you before. If you want God to speak to you in an audible voice. He will do it every single day. How does he do it? Read the word out loud. Meditate. The word meditate means to speak it over and over and over again. Mutter out loud. I love it. It becomes a part of who you are. It becomes the guiding force in our life. Listen, we need truth now more than ever. We need to walk in the light of God's word now more than ever. Because there are so many lies in the wind. So easy to be deceived these days. Demons are deceptive. Lying spirits are speaking everywhere. In our educational systems. In our government. Lying spirits are dominating and speaking and it's important that you and I tremble at God's word. That we, re- we remain steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always focusing in on what God wants us to be and who we are in Christ Jesus. Tremble at his word. I told you I was finished. I'm finished. We you bow your heads for a moment? Father, right now I just pray over your people. Lord God, I pray that this word today, Father, has spoken to us. Lord, has spoken to me, Lord God, as you put it into my heart that we are to tremble at your word, that we are to revere you and, and hold you in awe. Lord, that your word is above everything else that is spoken because, you, Lord, you said, let God be true and every man a liar. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we judge every circumstance, every situation, Everything that comes in our lives, Father, we judge it by the light of your truth, Father. And there's a safety there. And Lord, I just pray, God, that we live within that safety net, Lord, that we learn to walk in the light of your word, that it becomes, as the psalmist said, a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Lord, that you will show us clearly and give us clear direction through your word, God. Help us to tremble at it, Father, and understand who it is that's talking. 
It's the God of all gods, the master of the universe. Lord, and we thank you, Father, that we serve such a great God. I thank you for your word. Thank you, Father. Would you just say this with me? Father, I thank you that you have written a love letter to me. Help me to read it over and over again as a passionate lover. Lord, to hear from you how you feel about me. And how, Lord, our relationship can grow. I pray, Father, that your word would become more and more real to me. And I pray that the eyes of my understanding would be opened. That my ears would become sensitive to what you're saying. By your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I give you one more word of instruction in closing? Now, I've, I've had um, folks to ask me before, you know, I want to read the Bible, but I find it to be boring. Well, it's going to be if you start in the book of Leviticus. Let me promise you that. <laughs> or if you just take your finger and just say, Lord, just guide me today, and you just flip it open. And it reads, and Judas wouldn't hang himself. Well, I don't like that one. Let me see what else it says. And you flip it over and it says, go and do thou likewise. Not a good way to read the Bible. Not a good way to get into it. You need a systematic way to read the Bible. Now, one of the most effective ways, this, this is the way I do it. I've, it's effective for me, and I've, I've struggled with ADD, so it works. You know, I get alone, I get in a quiet place, shut all the windows, turn on the lights, and read out loud so nobody can distract me. But I, I personally, now you, you have your own formula, but this works for me. I, I've found that I can read the Bible through every year, all the way through, from cover to cover, by reading six chapters a day. I read two chapters in the Old Testament, and I started in the book of Genesis. It's a good place to start. I read two chapters in the New Testament, which I started in the book of Matthew. It's a good place to start. And I read one psalm and one proverb every day, six chapters a day. Some chapters are longer than the others. I mean, sometimes I've had to kind of take Psalm 119 and maybe read it for three days. <laughs> We're talking about 176 uh, verses. It's a long, long book. But, you know, you, you, you use it, you do it sensibly. You know what I'm saying? But you can, you can read the Bible through every year doing that. You'll read Psalms through twice. You'll read Proverbs through 12 times by doing it that way. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Man, you want to get wise? Read Proverbs. And you read it through 12 times in a year, you, you pick up a lot of good stuff about life, about living. And the other thing you discover, too, as you read the Bible, when you start reading in the book of Genesis and the book of Matthew, you'll start reading in Matthew, it's like, this don't make sense. But as you read from Genesis and as you begin to cover the wide spectrum of those 39 books in the Old Testament, the New Testament will begin to open up and be revealed to you. Because you'll begin to understand what Jesus is talking about. You'll understand what the writers in the New Testament are talking about. Because it's, been, it's revelation coming from the Old Testament. It's a good way to read it because it brings understanding. You know, that, that's what we're after, right? We want to understand. And then as you read the book of Leviticus through for the, about the fourth time, you'll begin to, hey, this makes sense now. Because the book of Leviticus was the law to the Levites, the priests and the helpers that were, did the work in the temple. That was written to them. So the book of Levi, uh, the, the book of Leviticus, was it written to me? Well, it was. It was written more specifically to them. You'll begin to see who they were written to and what it applies to. Then it'll make more sense. 
Is that helping you any? So that's a good formula, a good way to do it. It takes about 25, 30 minutes a day. It all depends on how, how quick you want to read it. If you read it out loud, it also helps because as you read it out loud, it's like somebody reading it to you as you read along. What you see with your eyes, you will retain about 20% of it. What you hear with your ears, you'll receive about 40%. But what you see and hear, you will retain about 70%. So that helps you. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the word of God. So I, I hope that helps you. And, and, and I'm just going to give you that and I'm done. I'm finished. We've already prayed. So stand to your feet. God bless you. And I pray that God speaks to you through his word this week. And he will if you will give yourself to it. So do it in fear and trembling. Amen. Amen. God bless you.